everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. Uh, it's been a while since we've done one of these for a few reasons. Um, one is that uh, I needed to watch some movies. We were getting into the section where there were several movies in a row that I either needed to watch for the first time or re-watch before I felt comfortable talking about them. So, uh, so yeah, today we're going to talk about the best picture of 1965, Robert Wise's The, uh, the Sound of Music. And, in or- and look, it's a musical from the 60s. There's only one person I would want to talk to about that, and that is my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Hello. How you doing? Doing good. All right. I, are, are we, we're going to sing this whole episode, right? Sure. Okay. You know what? I, I don't even, I'm not even good enough at ad-libbing and impro- improvising to be able to even be able to start doing that. All right. Let's just skip it then. Thank you. Sorry, everyone. Moving on. Uh, so, The Sound of Music, based on the musical by Rodgers and Hammerstein, mm-hmm. the film won Best Picture, Director, Sound, Editing, and Music. It was nominated... For best actress, uh, best actress for Julie Andrews, best supporting actress for uh, Peggy Wood, cinematography, art direction, and costumes. So the film won five Oscars, and this is a film that I saw for the first time several years ago, and then only rewatched a few days ago. And I gotta say, I love it. I love the sound of music, uh, much to my surprise, uh, because when I watched it before, I was like, this is better than I thought it would would be. But watching it this time, uh, it's entirely possible that whenever I get around to making my next top hundred, uh, I think it'll be on it. Hmm. This movie really surprised me. Uh, Hmm. It might be that between then and now, I became a bit more familiar and fond of musicals. Not that Mm -hmm. I like them, but... When you see one that is structured well mm-hmm. and is surprisingly seems weird to say that a movie that is 170 minutes long is lean, uh, unless it's a David Lean film. Hey. Well, we'll get to that in a few a uh, few episodes, many episodes. Pardon me. Um, but the film feel like every scene feels necessary. It the plot unfolds in a way that I think is organic to the characters because that to me is a big thing that has always gotten me about musicals is that whether it be, you know, artificially getting into a song or, well, these characters need to fall in love. So I guess we better, I don't know, just do this thing, whatever it is. Um, they have never, the, the storytelling and the character, uh, arcs never seemed natural or organic to me. Sound of music is definitely the exception. And I, I have a feeling that a good portion of it has to do with Robert Wise, Hmm. who, you know, before a few years before this had won Best Director for West Side Story, which is another musical that I actually really like. But he w- he started as an editor, mm-hmm. you know, among the movies that he edited was Citizen Kane. Um, so when I say that it it moves at a, at a consistent pace, everything feels necessary. Um, it feels like that is that's that's from the mind of an editor who understands how important pacing is, how well we can't have. We can't have any dead weight. And I say this again, this is a long movie that doesn't feel long or doesn't drag out or anything like, at least not for me. Um, I, there are some, there are certain songs I don't respond to that well, but I still understand the necessity to character and plot. Mm -hmm. Um, and to just the overall tapestry of the film. Um, so yeah, uh, and we can get into more specifics in a moment, but by and large, I really, really enjoy the sound of music. Josh, your thoughts. 
I can't stand this movie. Okay, that's what I'm I just thought. kidding. Um, no, I like it a lot. I, I'm I've seen it multiple times. It's one of those ones that either used to. I, I guess for those maybe younger people who don't know this, there are a lot of movies that are kind of associated with a certain time of year because they always used to come on TV. Mm-hmm. Like there were, I think my parents used to tell me that might have been Wizard of Oz would come on every year at like Thanksgiving, maybe, or yeah. maybe around Christmas. There's a few of them like that. And apparently, Sound of Music was one of those movies for a while, and I don't remember what time of year even it was, but it, there was some time when it would come on a lot, and so it's still. I think it still does come on. TV fairly often, so I've seen it more than once mm-hmm. on TV, and then a couple times, I think, uh, apart from that. I've probably seen this movie four or five times, which is surprising, because oh, wow. there's not a lot of mu- musicals that I've seen that often. Yeah. Um, and with a movie that long, yeah, uh, that's a significant percentage of your life that you've spent watching The Sound of Music. That's true. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd say it's probably among my favorite musicals. Yeah. I feel like Singing in the Rain is probably my favorite musical, but... I think probably Cabaret for me. I do. Um, I think Cabaret might be on my list, too. I do like West Side Story. I like this one. Um, there's not many others that... I mean, if you want to get, like... If you want to say that Once is a musical... It is a musical, but mm. it's a modern musical, and... I don't know. For some reason, I have a hard time putting it alongside movies like Chicago. Yeah, it's or, kind of a different know, thing. Oklahoma or whatever. Yeah. Um, um, what I have seen of all that jazz uh, makes me think I would enjoy it. I haven't seen that. So. Right. So maybe, maybe that would be that would be one. But um, I think there's some other Stanley Donen ones that I like too because he did uh, he did Funny Face, didn't he? I have no idea. Which I I saw that fairly recently, and I like that one a lot too. But um, but yeah, which is funny because I, I, in general, I don't like Rodgers and Hammerstein that much. Hmm. Hammerstein, Hammerstein, Stein. Sure. Uh, yeah, and I, I um, what else did they do? They did. I think they did Oklahoma. I think they did, which I'm not a. I've only seen it on stage, and I don't care for it. They did South Pacific, which I've never which seen, I, which I do not like. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, then they did uh, actually they did a muse like a stage version of Cinderella, but I don't know that that was ever made into a like film. I think there were there were filmed oh. stage productions of it. Yeah, but I don't think there was actually who did Carousel because I hate Carousel. I think that's earlier. That's I think that's before them. Okay. Um, yeah, I've yeah. seen Carousel on stage. I'm sure that somebody somewhere made a movie of it at some point. Um, yeah. Not that I'm ever going to see it because I hate that musical. Uh, 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 is, isn't that a real good clam bake or this something? This was a real fine clam bake. <laughs> that is the one that I point to and say, this is why Carousel is bad. Um, um, yeah. That's that's the way I feel. For South Pacific, that's the way I feel about... Uh, <laughs> There's a song that's called like Talky Talky or something like that, which is a super racist version of this, uh, the, you know, the, the, I think the character's called Typhoid Mary. Okay. Um, and she is the, the, uh, the American, the Air Force guy, whoever he is, has kind of fallen in love with her daughter who mm-hmm. doesn't speak any English. Oh, so she's like trying to mediate a, uh, uh, like romance between them. But, <laughs> Were they inspired by uh, Mickey Rooney's character in Breakfast at <laughs> Tiffany's? It's yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um, although I do like what's 
I'm in love with a wonderful guy. I do like that song. That's from South Pacific. I don't think I know that one. It's and maybe I do. And I, that's, that's the thing. Uh, so with sound of music, which of course I had seen before, but then, uh, another film that I watched was the 1964 best picture, which is my fair lady. When you watch these movies, you come to realize, Oh, that's what that's from. Like oh, when, I, yeah. when I saw Sound of Music for the first time a few years ago, I was like, oh, my favorite things. I didn't know what that was from. Yeah. It's from this. Yeah. You know, or and, Edelweiss or. Uh, well, Ed, I had not heard Edelweiss. I had oh, heard really? 16 Going on 17. Yeah. I had heard my favorite things. Um, and Climb then, Every Mountain. <laughs> yeah. Which we'll get to in a moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it's like, and then and the, the song, The Sound of Music, I was like, what is that from? Is that from, uh, <laughs> is that from Les Miserables? So to joke, everybody, I'm not that stupid <laughs> but um so uh okay but yeah sorry i i kind of sidetracked this i was saying i generally don't like roger and hammerstein and actually i was in this musical in college and who are you i, I was the butler I, I always had the parts that didn't sing because i can't sing um you, i've heard you sing uh, i can't like do theater singing like, that you have true. to be able to I command suppose. a certain well i'm of... sure you could convince them be like hey i'm gonna play this rolf character <laughs> Uh, do you mind if he sounds like Sting <laughs> from the police? I could, could make that work. Uh, that, that, that's an interesting. Because it's interesting. Whoa. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, that's why we're nominated for podcast awards <laughs> and why we never win. Get out there and vote, everyone. Oh, that's true. Um, yes. Voting is uh, going it's open for, now. Uh, until I believe the 12th. And you yeah. can vote every day. So go to podcastawards.com. With every single one of your emails. That is true. Yes. Uh, I voted with your email the other day. Hey. So uh, you're more than one less email. Mm, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I didn't use um, um, yeah, I'm not crazy. <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, so yeah, I, and I, I didn't love the stage musical and they, you can tell that in doing the film, they knew exactly the songs to cut and like the beats that were not important and the things to focus on and the things not to focus on. And it's, so I've seen, you know, th I've seen plenty of movies that are based on musicals, plenty of movies that are based on plays, and there's the there's the concept of these films being stagey. Sound of music, even when there's moments of, you know, okay, well, the characters themselves are putting on a performance, but then there are other, and so it's just like, okay, that feels stagey, but it's supposed to, because mm -hmm. there's an, a literal audience in the film. Mm -hmm. But then... There are sequences, I don't remember, I wish I could remember what song it was, but there's one where the captain, uh, Captain Von Trapp and, and Maria are singing to each other in what looks like, a, I believe it's a gazebo, but that, I might be getting it confused with uh, 16 going on 17. Mm -hmm. But they wind up silhouetted in a doorway and it's so beautiful. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a gorgeous shot and yeah. it is, and it's inherently cinematic. That's the thing is Robert Wise took a stage musical and like you said, he knew what songs to cut and he knew what to play up and what like, hey, I'm making a movie. What can I do with the camera that you can't do on stage? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think one of the big, uh, the great decisions that the, that I think they made were or was to shoot so much of this on location. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it's actually shot in Austria. Yeah. Um, I've been to a couple of the spots. There's the one where they, uh, I think it's where they're doing my favorite things. There's one where they're like marching around, a, her and the kids are marching around like a fountain. Okay. And that's in some kind of like gardens place in. Well, I think that's the, Salzburg I think that's the Do Re Mi song. I Maybe don't know what that's yeah, called. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I, like, I know a lot of those are real locations and I think that 
takes away from the staginess. Like it doesn't look like it's on a soundstage because it's yeah. not. And um, they're, they do so much of it outdoors and in really beautiful locations. Yeah. And I think that that helps so much. Yeah. It's, uh, I think, so every, I, I think every movie I've seen by Robert Wise, which is criminally few, I should say, there's maybe only a handful, mm. but everything that I've seen, I've liked. I think he has a sense, I think he's something of a journeyman director. I don't think anybody would ever look at him and think like, he's one of the greatest auteurs we've ever seen. Mm. But he's consistently good. Like, mm-hmm. I love The Day the Earth Stood Still. I yeah. really like West Side Story. I love Sound of Music. I did not see, or at least I haven't seen for many years, so long that I don't really remember much of it. But I know he did Star Trek The Motion Picture, which a lot of people think is boring. I've never um, seen that one. But And I, I don't have his filmography in front of me, so I think there are some... Oh, he did The Setup. Did you ever see The Setup? No. It's a, it's a noir? film noir uh, boxing movie. Oh, that's cool. That's uh, wonderful. It's hmm. amazing. Um so Robert Wise is, I think, a director that I think I need. I think I just need to pay more attention to him. Yeah, yeah. And actually go out of my way to watch more of his movies, um, because I think he has a sensibility that I really appreciate. Um, so a few things uh, to get more specific. A few things that I do really like about uh, the film. Uh, the acting all around is marvelous. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Julie Andrews as Maria is. You know, in many ways, she could seem like, to put it in modern terms, the, the uh, manic pixie dream girl, because she is sort of this yeah. this free spirit that nobody, you know, how do you how do you solve a problem like her? Yeah. I don't know. She's even got that Gene Seberg haircut. Sure. Who's that again? Uh, the breathless girl. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun exchange. That sigh was for France <laughs> as a whole. That's not true. I enjoy Truffaut. Okay. And I like Grand Illusion. And I enjoy the rules of the game. Okay. And I enjoy uh, City of Lost Children. So there are at least four good things I enjoy to come French out of fries. French. Okay. Five. I enjoy uh, crepes. Mm-hmm. I like accordion music. But certain types of accordion music that's more <laughs> French than Italian. I don't think I like Italian accordion music. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, the Eiffel Tower l- is pretty impressive, I got to say. Okay. Um, the film Parisia Tem, I enjoy. Okay. That's, that's not A bad. good portion of um, the Lavender Hill Mob takes place uh, in Paris. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, let's see. Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> Is is all right, Catherine Deneuve. Okay, uh, I've seen the Young Girls of Rochefort. Uh-huh. So Speaking there you of go. Musicals. Yeah, I just named quite a few French things, <laughs> and I think the French language is quite beautiful. Smoking. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah, smoking's pretty great. So uh, that's an that's an official more than one lesson endorsement for smoking. Yeah, and yeah, and we are not being paid to say that. Um, <laughs> not let's yet. See. New sponsor. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're from North Carolina. You could probably oh, yeah. look us up. I can get something. Winston on yeah. the phone. Um, Bob Winston. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just said a f- bunch of French things that I legitimately enjoy. It's pretty good. I enjoy uh, beignets, which I recognize is more New Orleans, but it's a French it's word. by way of France. I'm not saying that, T. Yeah, true. Beignets, I'm not saying that. Yeah. Um, I enjoy several French terms like uh, je ne sais quoi. <laughs> or sacre bleu sacre bleu invaders um, I do enjoy Lumiere Beauty and the Beast Beauty and the Beast that's absolutely. from France yeah I enjoy that film the Cocteau film um, yeah that's true 
So yeah, I think I'm doing pretty good <laughs> just because I do not enjoy the few films uh, by Godard that I have seen does not mean I don't enjoy France. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. Listeners leave in the comments section, how impressive I am that I, and how much of a world traveler I am in my heart. So all the, I went, all the French listeners will be like, great. French listeners don't listen to this oh. <laughs> because this they is, might, because this is American. And it does not involve a, a girl and a gun and a pair of sunglasses. You lost me there. That's a Godard thing. Just the idea of like, it's oh. not super cool. Oh, I see. So, okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. Robert Hornack's pretty cool. <laughs> so, and he <laughs> has, he actually cool, has a, almost as cool as a French girl with sunglasses and a gun and a gun. Oh man. Are you kidding me? Mm. Absolutely. Okay. That was a weird tangent, but. I feel like my point is made. I'm a huge Francophile. So, um, okay. Noted Francophile, Tyler Smith. Absolutely. I got oh, to update my resume <laughs> under uh, interests. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Interests, you know, all that French stuff. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of, uh, yeah, sorry. I was about to swear, but this is not a swearing podcast. That's a fourth one. It's called the Swearing Podcast, and we just say some of our Swear favorite cast. swears. So, um, so yeah, uh, Julie Andrews, yeah, she could have, that's right. We got this there from Manic Pixie <laughs> Manic Dream Girl. Dream Girl. Um, but she doesn't, and those types of characters tend to bother me mm -hmm. uh, because they're almost a little bit too perfect yeah. at times. And while her character is definitely seen as sort of the the uh, redemptor of this family, uh, redeemer uh, of this family, uh, I'm thinking of the superhero redemptor. <laughs> um, and while she is definitely that... Um, there are times when her free spiritedness, while a good thing, uh, causes her to to. I don't know, and, and maybe this, maybe the film views this as a good thing, but I don't. Where she doesn't really, she's not super respect respectful to people, mm -hmm. um, and she has a tendency to be very dismissive of things that she does not understand or or agree with. So, you know, if the, if Captain Von Trapp thinks that it's like, I'm running my family this way now, even though we recognize that that is not correct, mm -hmm. um, and that there, there are better ways for him to connect with his children, for example, try, um, <laughs> but we recognize that, but at the same time, this is his house. These are his children and this is how he's done things. And she throws his it out the window. Rules. Exactly. He's a captain after all. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so. Sorry, I just thought of a dumb joke, I have, and I'm not going to say it because I'm ashamed of it myself for even thinking it. Um, so, uh, you know, I think Jesus said that if you think a dumb joke, it's the same as saying Yeah, you, you have said it in your heart. Indeed, absolutely. So, um, but Maria comes in and she just throws this stuff out, mm -hmm. you know, and does so pretty flagrantly and maybe with a certain, de with a certain degree of arrogance. Almost I like the nanny. Almost like the nanny named Fran. Yes, uh, this is a this is a weird <laughs> minisode. We're bringing up a lot of weird weird things, so I apologize. Um, so there are things about her that that I find slightly off putting, but not as far as like the characters written poorly. It's just like that's a, it's a fleshed out character. Mm -hmm. um, I love Captain Von Trapp. I love Christopher Plummer and basically everything I've ever seen him in, and he yeah. does a really good job of creating a guy who can go from being sort of this this uh, drill sergeant type with his family and being very strict 
to allowing himself to open up to his children, to Maria. Um, and that is, it seems a little bit abrupt, but it comes, it comes about as a function of like hearing his children, like sing for the first time in many years. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's very much on Christopher Plummer to kind of make, to indicate to us what is happening inside of him. And I think he does a great job with it. Yeah. Um, I think all the I think all the performances are really great. I do enjoy the inclusion of the Baroness. No, not the GI Joe uh, villainess, um, but uh, played by uh, Eleanor Parker. This is the woman that the captain is romantically involved in until he falls in love with Maria, mm-hmm. and the we are seeing uh, the kids are rather cold to the Baroness simply because she's not Maria and she doesn't totally know how to relate to them, but she does make the attempt. And what I, another thing that I just love is that the film does not treat her disrespectfully. The film does not say, well, she's not Maria, so she must be the worst woman in the world. Oh, right. Uh, she wants, she, I think she genuinely loves the camp the captain. She wants to be with him. She would like to connect with his family where she can. She wants this relationship to happen. Uh, and when it doesn't, I think the film mourns for her. I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it is sad for her. Mm-hmm. And ultimately we're happy for Maria. We're happy for the captain and the children, but I like that the film does not cast the Baroness's, uh, emotions aside, um, or just treat her some kind of caricature, uh, like- unworthy of respect. And another weird connection, like the uh, the other the other mom in the Parent Trap. Sure, sure. I was gonna say I don't remember the name of the actress, but uh, that woman in Twister, uh, Bill okay. Paxton's like new wife or fiance or whatever yeah. it is, that uh, is treated as just a ridiculous woman who just doesn't understand why you know someone would uh, court death by chasing uh, tornadoes. <laughs> I know it's crazy. Why can't she get with it? Yeah. Um, Parent Trap might have come out the same year. Uh, that's entirely possible. By. I have seen The Parent Trap uh, many years ago. My wife is a big fan of it. That is also a, sho- a shockingly long movie. Is it I really? It was like two and a half hours. Is it really? Maybe Man, like 220. But I haven't still. seen it for a while, but yeah. I do remember that, that well, that mom is, is one of those caricatures like you're yes. talking about. Like nobody really likes her and she's kind of like stuffy and boring. Just and blah, get blah, blah. her out of here. Yeah. I've, for whatever reason in movies like this, I always have, whether it be a, a husband or a wife or whatever it is, uh, I always have sympathy for the person that gets left behind for the mm-hmm. film's central romance to take place. She's probably a Nazi, though, so don't have to feel sorry for her. Sure, absolutely. She might turn out to be a Nazi. In the stage version, more people kind of like turn out to be Nazis. The butler, specifically. Oh, wow. <laughs> I remember, I like turned him into the Nazis or something like that. Uh, also, Max and the Baroness have a song in the, the uh, stage version, which is mercifully cut from the film. It's oh, not good. very good. I do like the character of Max, and I really like that actor, yeah. Richard Hayden, who most people will know as the voice of the Caterpillar on Alice in Alice in Wonderland. That's right, yeah. Uh, but he was also in uh, an early, uh, I think it was from the 1930s, uh, uh, adaptation of uh, and then of Ten Little Indians called And Then There Were None that starred Barry oh, yeah. Fitzgerald and uh, Walter Houston. Hmm. And he plays, I don't remember the name of the character, but he plays, plays uh, the butler uh, in that. And, uh, and I think he does a great job in, in this as well as a guy who is kind of, you know, he's... He's like a uh, an entertainment uh, manager, so he's kind of unscrupulous, but at the same time, and he's and he's clearly willing to go along with wherever the country's going to go. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't like it, and 
he does he definitely understands yeah, Captain Von Trapp's like principles. He's got a good moment, I think, at the kind of the beginning of is there actually an intermission in it or am I just remembering that? What was it? Remembering. Is there actually an intermission in the film? There is. Okay. So like right after the intermission, mm-hmm. then I feel like he has a moment where you kind of see that the Nazis are coming in and yeah, he has some kind yeah. of uh, discussion with Von Trapp where he's like like you said, he's not happy with it, but there's no stopping it. Yeah. And, and then when you think about that last performance, which he is hosting and all yeah. that, you, and then the Von Trapps get away. Now, we're happy for the Von Trapps, but my guess is Max is going to be in trouble. Yeah, like, maybe. Even if they don't immediately think that he's involved, they're not going to be happy, and they will probably they blame first, it on him. Yeah, it's just like, well, he's close with them. He, he was in the car with them yeah. uh, when we caught them before the performance. And I think he probably knows it too. Like I could get in trouble and we all know what happens when you get in trouble with Nazis. Yeah. Um, and what so happened to all those nuns who took the parts out of the car. Oh boy. Well, I'm sure the Nazis will respect, uh, it's like, well, you can't come into the convent, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And that's, and I think that's the thing is I think the film understands. And I guess this is what I'm saying about the Baroness as well. The film understands that there are other characters, that there are other mm-hmm. people who will continue or not mm-hmm. as the once the von traps are gone yeah you know and uh and yeah i i appreciate that a great deal yeah um, in, in, in the same way in the same way i feel like they actually turn rolf into kind of a tragic character like yeah. it's it, it instead of just making him evil like you do kind of feel like he knows he didn't do the right thing oh undoubtedly and and when when uh Christopher Plummer, uh, Captain Von Trapp, when he is talking to him and, you know, Rolf can't shoot him. Mm-hmm. And so Christopher Plummer, he says one, la- it's, he says one last thing to him that is not necessarily meant to undercut him, not necessarily meant to make him feel bad. It's more, you know, for Christopher Plummer, it's a good thing, which he says like, you'll never be one of them. Mm-hmm. And it's that that actually sets Rolf yeah. off. The idea of like, I believe in this thing and I've, and I have failed it. And this guy just reminded me that I failed it. So, you know what, I'm going to do this. And I, and at no point, I mean, obviously I'm upset with Ralph for doing this, but at the same time, yeah, I definitely see that like he's gotten caught up in everything. And he's, he's a misguided young. kid. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's only 17 going on eight. <laughs> um, you know, it's very much that Hitler youth thing. And I will say that I think this might be not my favorite aspect of the film, but something that definitely got lost in my memory between the first and second time. The Nazi stuff and the the emergence of of the Nazi party and and Austria being brought into Germany uh, is something that we are given hints of, like a little bit at first Mm -hmm. and then more and then more and then it cannot be avoided. Yeah. And I love that because I think, and that that probably is a function of the musical itself, but Mm -hmm. it's not there from the start and they don't throw it in at the end. Yeah. It's something that like, honestly, like the Nazi party itself and its takeover of Germany, it starts small Mm -hmm. with people just kind of be like, "Eh, I'm not super thrilled with this or yeah. uh, I think they're doing some good stuff and it builds to something that just cannot be avoided. I, I think it speaks to the actual experience of people who are not directly involved in politics there at the time. Like yeah. it, it's happening around you and you're not, you know, you don't have any control over it directly, but like 
more and more it becomes uh, an inescapable part of your life to the point yeah. where it, it is actually endangering you. Yeah, you literally have to escape it, or yeah. you will, or you will die. Um, and yeah, and and that's the thing is, in this case, it's not even that. Oh, the Van, Van uh, von Traps are being targeted by the Nazis. It's that Captain von Trapp is going to be drafted into the Nazis, yeah. and he does not want that. So mm-hmm. I did take the time to look up the true story. Oh yeah, and a lot of this it's pretty close. Is, the case, yeah, and it, and part of me is like, has there ever been a non-musical version of this story, like just a straight up drama? Because I feel like mm-hmm. that would be good too. Um, I don't know. It's uh, it, it, and I think I think looking it up and realizing that this Captain Von Trapp guy in real life and in the film is just like a really really decent man yeah um who's had some like good things in his life some bad things in his life and then when it came right down to it rather than give in to something that he didn't agree with he risked death uh to get his family out yeah um when he could have that's the thing it's not even that like again he's not under threat he actually could have joined the nazi party and probably gone up through the ranks and gotten very powerful yeah but he didn't believe in what they were doing Mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of amazing yeah that's admirable so um um, i think they ended up the real people ended up in the united states yes vermont eventually uh going on a musical tour (laughs) it's very strange (laughs) yeah like the von trapp family singers yeah it was like the real thing it was like they were like the original partridge family absolutely <laughs> and it all, let's, came, maybe it all let's, came together when captain sang along <laughs> we, we can now, now what what country were the partridges fleeing from <laughs> vietnam actually. oh boy wow that's really <laughs> they they really whited it up for uh, american tv <laughs> <laughs> so okay Looking at the other Best Picture nominees of 1965, we have a movie called Darling, which I've not seen. I know nothing about that movie. Nothing. Dr. Zvago, which I have seen. Ship of Fools. David Lean. uh, Ship of Fools, I have not seen. And A Thousand Clowns, which I have seen and I love. Who is in that film? Jason Robards. uh, Jason Robards, okay. And Martin Balsam won Best Supporting Actor for it, and rightfully so. That's why I watched it in the first place is because an actor like Martin Balsam is like one of these like dependable character actors that I, I didn't. When I found it like, oh, he actually won an Oscar for something. Uh-huh. I better watch. I, I'm interested to see what that is. And the whole movie's marvelous. Hmm. It hasn't gotten any kind of real DVD or Blu-ray release. Really? That I'm aware of. Huh. Maybe like a really cheap DVD release, but it's like out of print or something. Do you know who directed it? I don't recall. It's someone of note. Oh, I feel like it would bothersome. be like a Sidney Lumet. I don't think it's him. But it's not him, like but it's that. somebody like that. Yes, feel free to, to look it up. But it is a, if you can find it, it's a marvelous film. Um, is that also based on a play? Yes. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, I so know nothing about Darling. Uh, don't know anything yeah. about Ship of Fools. But I've seen Dr. Zvago. I've seen A Thousand Clowns and Sound of Music. Um, I love A Thousand Clowns. Dr. Zvago, I'm not a huge fan of. I think it has oh, really? its moments, certainly as, a, as an epic. But from a yeah. character standpoint... I never got that into the romance, but maybe mm-hmm. it's that when I watched it at a time that romance was not that big of a deal to me. Maybe, maybe. And I, I know like, I think there is something kind of moving and iconic about the end of that film. Sure. Anyway, like either way, although it's one of those kind of tragedies that's just, <laughs> that's like, I don't want to say too much about it, giving it away. Cause right. But it's, 
It's like, oh, so, so close. Yeah. Oh, it's a very Russian ending. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, totally. And I think one of the things that I actually like most about Dr. Zhivago, aside from it's just the beauty of it, um, I think I like all of its supporting characters. Hmm. Um, I love Tom Courtney as Strelnikov. I enjoy um, Rod Steiger. I enjoy... Oh, yeah. I forgot he was in that. Crazy uh, Klaus Kinski for one. He's in like one scene, right? <laughs> I don't um, remember, actually. I, I must have seen that before I knew who he was. I haven't seen it for years. Ah. Um, yeah, it's something that I think I do need to rewatch. I think I've seen it once in my life and really liked it at the time. But, um, but at the same time, as I move, I think I liked it because I felt like I should. Mm. And I just got swept up in the, in the, the visuals of it. Cause I, yeah. at the time I hadn't seen anything like that. Yeah. Um, but it is definitely of, <laughs> it's a minor lean epic. It's a minor David lean epic. You know, it's one of the big three, Mm -hmm. but I think everybody would agree it's the worst of the three. And then if you want to actually branch out, you also have a passage to India and there's a, he did like five big epics. Is it Ryan? Not, is it Ryan's daughter? No, that's not right. I don't know. Ah, this is killing me. But, um, but yeah, I, so I think I need to rewatch Dr. Zhivago and I feel like, it's entirely possible that just from a spectacle standpoint, Dr. Zhivago might give Sound of Music a run for its money, but I think that everything Sound of Music is... I'm not sure if I would say that Sound of Music is perfect, mm-hmm. but it's close. I can't think... I personally don't like the song 16 going on 17, but that's mm-hmm. a personal thing. Yeah, I, I and don't... And Edelweiss more than makes up for it, because that's one of the most beautiful songs I've yeah, ever heard. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, the... Uh... I feel like some of the stuff with the nuns, the pace slows down a little bit. Uh, that's definitely true. And I think I think they're definitely good character moments, especially for Maria. But like, climb every mountain, I remember thinking of as like a slow point in the film. Yeah, and I don't dislike that song. No, it's not a bad um, song. But it but does. It's not an upbeat. It's not an up tempo song. And and nothing in the nothing in the song or the beat in the uh, you know that beat in the story. Yeah lends itself to being very either cinematic or energetic. So right. the the whole song is that nun just kind of standing there singing it. Yeah, the song, like when you think, like the song is is huge, mm-hmm. but it's one woman singing it in a room. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's, honestly, maybe that's an issue with Robert Wise and a choice that he made. Maybe. Like maybe it should have been a larger thing. At the very least, go outside to sing put it. Put her in a cathedral or something. I yeah. Don't know. Yeah, that might, that might work. Um, as opposed to, you know, an office <laughs> like it's it seems very small scale and yeah. it seems like i i can picture fast forwarding through that scene <laughs> and you know it's maybe it's enti- maybe it's possible that robert wise is like you know what i'm gonna actually do the opposite of what this what what is it intuitive yeah maybe like everything about this song is big but it's still just a one-to-one yeah. uh, a one-on-one scene yeah between you know uh this young woman and uh her you know a mother figure yeah so maybe and, we'll do it like that, but it's just like, uh, well, I, and then I think maybe they should have like rearranged the song. Maybe. I don't know. But, but you know, sometimes that really works. Like I, I think some people don't like it, but I really love that moment in the, uh, the Rob Marshall, Les Miserables. It's Rob Marshall, right? No, it's no. Uh, Tom Hooper. Tom Hooper. That's who it is. Um, wh- whatever's the one where is it, I have a dream or. I dreamed a dream. I dreamed a dream. The one where it's just that one take. Like, oh, yeah. I, I think that was a great decision and I love the way it yeah, it's the played out. Best decision of the film. Yeah. Um, um, 
but that's a similar thing where it's it's simple and it's one person in one place. Um, well, and just and the camera's just like locked into her face. Frankly, her face and her emotion becomes the epic that this song requires. Yeah. And I guess there is a lot more going on with that character than right. there is with the nun who's just or the mother superior, I guess. Yeah. It's just kind of saying something inspiring. And it, and that's the thing is like the song definitely should not be cut because when they reprise it at the end when they're literally climbing a mountain, <laughs> yeah. it's like it might be a little bit on the nose, but in that moment it it really means something. Yeah. And I think it just it as far as I, I think I have a general idea of what Robert Robert Wise was trying to do. I don't think it necessarily works. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't dislike the song. I think I just dislike the 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 tone of that scene and where mm. like you're you're right where it falls in the in the overall story um but yeah uh but i can't say enough good things about edelweiss like it's uh amazing That's a um good one. so yeah so as i just said uh sound of music is not perfect but i think it's pretty close but i think we actually just pinpointed a a thing where they maybe didn't mm. you know Maybe they're being a little bit too ambitious or not ambitious enough. Who's to say? Who knows? Um, so looking at other notable 1965... Okay, so so you've only seen Sound of Music and Dr. Zhivago. Yeah, those are the only two I've seen. And Of those two, what would you go with? I'd probably go with Sound of Music. Okay. I think it's... I think it, it, it's more of a crowd pleaser. Um, I feel like it... I don't, I don't have a, as great of a memory for Dr. Zhivago, but... Um, it feel it feels like there's more economy of story, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, you know, now that I think about it, I've actually seen Doctor Zhivago twice. I saw it once in my modern European history class when we were talking about the hmm. Russian Revolution, and then once on my own. Hmm. Um, and I think I kind of tuned it out when I watched it in school, uh, maybe because I think I was a little bit too young to be that into movies yet. Hmm. Well, you know, I feel like that's. Uh, and we'll get to this when we get to 1962, but I feel like it's possible Dr. Zhivago could be one of those ones that if I were to see it on the, on the big screen, I'd be like, this movie's brilliant. Sure. Um, or even see it on Blu-ray at this point for me. Yeah, maybe. I, that's for some reason they do, they do Lawrence all the time out here in LA yeah. on, on screen, but I don't remember in recent memory having seen screenings available of Dr. Zhivago and that does seem like an oversight. It does, doesn't it? Because I feel like, I mean, I know it looks beautiful, and so there's at least that going for it. So I, that's what I'd really like to see. In and last my, year, we hit the 50th anniversary of it. Yeah. Maybe they did it, and we just didn't yeah, notice. Could be. We just missed it. Oh, that's unfortunate. Um, okay, so other notable 1965 releases, uh, a number of movies that I actually haven't seen. Um, the Agony and the Ecstasy, Alphaville. Alphaville I've seen. Oh, hey, you're a favorite filmmaker. Yeah, that's him. Uh, <laughs> that's actually, I think, my least favorite Godard film of the ones I've seen. Uh, people that like Godard have said, people I know that like Godard have said that they don't really like that one that much. I, I feel like he doesn't totally know what he's doing with sci-fi. Mm, I feel like I could he, see that. He's his, his thing in general is to be like, you know, subverting expectations, which is fine. I think there's something interesting and valuable in that, but uh, it sounds like he doesn't, it feels like, it doesn't feel like he knows what sci-fi is and is subverting your expectations of sci-fi. It's feeling like he's kind of seen a few sci-fi movies and says, I'll take some kind of elements of that and adapt it to what I want to do. Yeah. It's, uh, I could see his style not fitting great with sci-fi, which is if nothing else deliberate, Mm -hmm. um, which is not him. Uh, Battle of the Bulge, uh, Cat Baloo, which I've never seen. Oh, you'd like Cat Baloo. I think I I would too. Um, 
Faster Pussycat, kill, kill. <laughs> that I'm I not saying seen. that to my cat, Charlie. Uh, that is a <laughs> title. He is here. And yes, got a and I do gun. want him to kill Josh, but he never <laughs> listens to me. Uh, for a few dollars more, your favorite film, The Great Race. Hey, hey, one of our listeners' favorite films, right? Somebody. That uh, is true. Yes. Thank you, everybody. For, the Great Race. Yes. Thank you, everybody. So I love that film, that. too. Whoever's out there who enjoyed it. Uh, yes. Josh. That is pie the, fight. Yeah. It is the Gilligan's Island of movies. <laughs> So, um, the greatest story ever told, uh, the naked prey, Othello, that's the Lawrence Olivier Othello, mm. the pawnbroker, which is marvelous. Oh, yeah, that's I one. love that one. Um, Shenandoah, which, uh, is Jimmy Stewart in that? Yes, he is. And that's just a straight up Western, but then they made it into a musical that I was in, in high school, which is a lot of fun. I may have seen that, although I might be getting it because he's also in how the West was won, isn't he? I may be mixing those two movies up. Well, given that everyone was in how yeah. the West was won, I'm going to say yes, he was. <laughs> Um, and then the spy who came in from the cold, which I love. That's a good one too. Yeah. I, I, that is a wonderful film. Looking at the, uh, the best actor, uh, category this yeah, year, you had, field. you had like Rod Steiger in the pawn broker. You had Richard Burton and spy who came in from the cold. I believe it went to Lee Marvin for I think Cat it did go to Lee Marvin, which um, is funny. It doesn't often go to a comedic performance like that. Yeah. And that's a, and it often doesn't go to Lee Marvin. <laughs> well, it's true. So uh, maybe if you combine those but it's still, two. Like, when I think of Lee Marvin, I think of like, am I getting mixed up? He's the dirty dozen, right? Like, yeah. I think of him being tough guy Lee Marvin. So yeah. for him to be like sloppy drunk person in Cat Blue is kind of yeah. hilarious. Yeah, I've never seen it. I, and I've, I've always wanted to um, for the reasons that you're talking about. Uh, this, the uh, James Bond film Thunderball. I do not remember which one that is. I think I've seen them all, but... Oh, I certainly have not seen them all. I haven't even seen all the Connery ones. Um, and this is a Connery one. There's a point in there where they kind of blend together, like... Yeah. Because I used to watch them. They would all come on TV. And they used to do that thing on TBS. Remember, they would show, like, all the Bond films. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I saw all of them that way. Um, but I, after a while, you, they... Yeah, they all blend together. After a while, it's just like, okay, so who's the hen- who's the henchman? <laughs> Oh, it's odd job. Okay, got it. That's Goldfinger, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, so looking at the other, again, the other notable 65 releases, I mean, none of them really jump out at me. As much as I love Spy Who Came In From The Cold, it's not necessarily best picture material, though mm-hmm. I think it is one of the ve- best films about the Cold War uh, that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I like those uh, John Le Carre, uh spy movies mm-hmm. uh, and stories where it's just like, hey... Uh, you know this James Bond guy? Yeah, that's not how it is. Most of the spies are drunk and hate it and hate themselves. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so yeah, I'm perfectly fine with Sound of Music winning Best Picture of the Year. It might actually be the best picture of that year. Um, so uh, listeners, I, I, I won't even bother saying I won't even bother doing the usual thing of like if somebody said they wanted to see Sound of Music, would you warn them away from it? The answer for me is definitely no. Yeah. And I will now say if you haven't seen Sound of Music watch it it's great yeah i think it's definitely one worth seeing and if for some reason you haven't yet so uh i think we will leave it there uh next week we will be talking about the best picture of 1964 what is it you can look it up on your own but i'm not i'm still not going to tell you you'll have to tune in next week so thank you everybody for listening josh thanks for being here you're welcome we'll get you next time bye